You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thank you. Please be seated. Oh my gosh, where's my sermon? Oh no, no. That was the dream I had last night. It's here. I want to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Lord, thank you for the certainty of your calling of us, and for the certainty of you building your church, and the certainty of our rejoicing in the hope of your glory. Amen. All right, well, this is my last day on staff, my last opportunity to share with you in this context, and today is about inheritance and legacy and the fact that the story goes on. So this morning I want to share with you three different stories. And uh, these stories are about what he has done and what he is doing. Stories that hopefully will show us that we are receiving an inheritance and we are leaving an inheritance. As followers of Jesus, we have been called out of spiritual darkness and into the marvelous light of his story. And from that, we understand our part in his story because we're a chosen race and we're a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a people. Hear this. We are a people of his own possession. And because we are his possession, he's called us, which is why Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Well, what if we feel like we're not yet ready to go where he might be leading us? Well, there's a, a saying that's, that's gone around. You may have heard it, but I think it's very true, and it somewhat sums up the theme of what I want to talk about today, and it's God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. If you have been called by God to follow Jesus, he is now equipping you. And it's the fact that Jesus is the one that does the equipping. He he brings us into an inheritance. We don't deserve it. We didn't create it. But we step into the inheritance of his people and his church. And he is making through us a legacy for those that will come after us. All righty. First story. The first story is, this, is a story about this building. Some of you may not know, but it's, it's amazing that we just saw that video about church planting because 95 years ago, 
in a congregation like this in downtown Seattle with folks just like you prayed and planned and made the decision to plant a church in the south end of West Seattle because they felt that West Seattle needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this building, the fact that you're here, you may have made the choice to come here today, but the reality that you could come here today was made 95 years ago with people just being faithful to Jesus, saying, we want to plant a church so the gospel can be be proclaimed in West Seattle. And that's a picture there of the the first building. So if you're familiar with the building, you know, we're all brick, but but the, the north end is a white wood building. And that was the original one planted 95 years ago. And there's the congregation in front of it. It's pretty cool. But like I say, they prayed and they planted, they planned and they planted. In the 40s, now a different congregation, and that was the, the, the church was called Hellcrest, a different congregation, because time had moved on, said, hey, our church is growing. We, we need a bigger facility to take care of the growing numbers of folks coming and the growing numbers of children in the Sunday school classrooms. And so in the, in the 40s, they built the second phase of Hillcrest. And the sanctuary was what we now call the commons. And then in the 60s, another generation said, we've got to expand it even more. And what you're sitting in now is the expansion of that building. But each congregation, each group of people, each each followers of Christ prayed and planned together and planted or expanded. It was the work of of Christ through them because they all, like you, want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed to our neighbors. Now, these multiple generations of followers like I say, very much like us. Nothing special or unusual about them. Matter of fact, um, they were full of the desire to serve Jesus here in West Seattle, yet they were surrounded with uncertainty just like we would be and and just like we are and with circumstances that seem to to tell us to, to, to not think that way. Just think about this. That first group that came here in, in um, 95 years ago, a few years later, there was the stock market crash of 1929. Bankruptcy. Loss of savings. Suicides. And yet they continued to preach the gospel. In the 30s was the Great Depression. 25% unemployment. 25%. True homelessness then. And yet God continued to bless them in the midst of their circumstances. And they decided, uh, in the midst of their circumstances, they went on to the 40s when this was expanded. World War II. Tremendous circumstances. Why why, why think about the future when we don't know if we're even going to be around in the future? But Jesus Christ compelled them to continue to grow the church. And then in the 50s, the Cold War, the fear of nuclear war, that they continued to trust and believe 
and expand and preach the gospel in West Seattle. So for 95 years, Jesus has been working in and through his people right here. Jesus is fulfilling the promise that he made to Peter when he said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, in Matthew, which, is, which was foreshadowed, if you will, in the Old Testament, Psalm 127, in which the Lord declares, the writer declares about the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Jesus has been building his house and the labor's not been in vain. And he continues to build his house, giving us the opportunity to continue to proclaim the gospel of his kingdom here in West Seattle and beyond. And like those who came before us uh, in the day, he has given us an opportunity to take part in what he is doing. And if you want to know more about this building, uh, this booklet was uh, made up uh, by Mars Hill when Mars Hill was here. And it's a fascinating, a lot of the things I talked about come out of that and a lot, lot more. It's a fascinating history of what God has been doing. So I, I commend that to you. They're, they're available in the commons there. Okay, so that's the story of this building. So what's my story's connection to this building, and so let's go to the story of my story. Well, I grew up in Arbor Heights and attended, my family attended this church's Hillcrest. Uh, my earliest memory, and it's, they're, they're getting foggier, I got to tell you, they're getting foggier, but my earliest memory is actually going to Sunday school in what we call the North Building, or the old original building. That's where the Sunday School uh, program was held. And I, I, again, have vague, vague memories of going to church when the commons was the sanctuary. Why am I telling you that? Just letting you know I'm old. <laughs> I wasn't a Christian at the time, uh, but in 1972, I accepted the Lord and actually came back here and was mentored by the youth pastor here, uh, Kent McLean, who helped grow my foundation in, in Christ and my love for the Bible. In 1976, I married a lovely bride. There we are. Yeah, she's beautiful. Still is. Little did we think at that time that we'd have 17 grandchildren. There we are, yeah. It's 12 of them. I told you you guys would be famous. The clan is up front here. After we were married, we attended Trinity Church in Burien. And I want to point out Rich and Lee Harris, dear, dear friends from Trinity days. Yay! Love them dearly. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Um, so I was there, became an elder at Trinity, and we were there for about 15 years. So that's where I got my, my introduction into shepherding and, and caring and, and really what it meant to be an elder. And it really grew in me, though, that, that experience beginning there, 
this realization that I, I believe that God had, had given me a, a heart of a shepherd, a, a, de, a desire to serve his people, and perhaps the inkling of maybe he's calling me to something more than just a lay elder. After that, um, we spent uh, another 18 years at uh, Boulevard uh, Presbyterian Church out on 128th, and I continued uh, to be an elder there, and I also continued to work in the family business that, that I was in, and um, I still continued even at uh, um, Boulevard Park to have this desire that perhaps God would, was calling me not only to be an elder, but to call me into a, a full-time pastoral role. I just, I felt that that's something that he had, he had, he had mixed in with this shepherding heart that he had given me. Well, um, in the early 2000s, I hit my mid-50s, and it became evident to me that that calling into the pastorate full-time was just really not in the cards. It just wasn't happening. And and at that time, at that age, I'm going, I'm 55, uh, it just, I just mis, misread. And, I'm fi- and I was fine with it. I was really pleased that the God had, had been using me in the way that he had. And so it was with no regret that I, I sort of set that aside. And then in uh, 2012, uh, Lisa and I started attending this building as, as it was Mars Hills. And um, at that time, uh, David Fairchild was the uh, campus pastor. And we, we were, became part of a community group he was in. And he said, hey, Buzz, um, because of your background and the fact that you've, d- you've done jail ministry and whatnot, there's, there's something I'm involved with that you might be interested in just finding out about. So I said, what is it? Well, it's, it's something called, we're, we're building this building, and it's called Renovo, and we're working with the UGM. And so it's, okay. So UGM is Union Gospel Mission, and, and they're in the city, and they're in several different cities, and they really are, are skilled at and called to um, rescue those off of the street and drug addictions and all kinds of emotional issues and, and provide them a recovery program. And what this Renovo was to be, uh, it was being built, and it was going to be a transitional housing for women coming out of the, the women's program. So I said, oh, that's, that sounds interesting. So I, I started... Uh, going with David to these meetings, uh, these planning meetings with the UGM folks. And after about the third meeting, I realized something, because it was, it was growing and the, and the building was actually uh, under construction and the plans were being, being made as how would we function as a church working with the mission. And I, I, was, I remember being in a meeting and I looked at David and, and my mind went, he doesn't have time to do this. He's got a full plate pastoring here and shepherding the flock here. So at the end of the meeting, I said, hey, he, he's not going to tell you, but he, it's impossible for him to do what needs to be done to oversee this. And just temporarily, I, I'm willing to step in and oversee this relationship between Renovo and UGM and with, and with the church, and, uh, and, and I'll do that. Well, we kept meeting and uh, it was at the end of 2014. Mars Hill was imploding. 
the thoughts of Trinity was emerging. The mission was wondering, are you guys going to be around for Renovo? And we assured them that we would be. Well, on the way back from one of those meetings, David turns to me in the car and said, hey, I wonder, would you ever consider coming on staff full-time as a pastor? Well, I was shocked. It had been 10 years since my self-assigned expiration date. <laughs> uh, and I said, yeah, I, I would consider it. And as, as we met as, as elders um, and, and talked about it, and I, I kept saying, are you guys sure? <laughs> I mean, are, are you sure that, that I fit this? I'm not even sure what a pastor of mercy is, and I've never been on a mission trip. And they said, yeah, we're sure. So these past seven years, uh, every day that I've come to work, I have a feeling that I think the Psalms express. Psalm 126 talks about the Jews that were in exile returning to Jerusalem. And it says, And when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those in a dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. I just, man, I felt like I was playing with house money. I felt like this is unbelievable. I still didn't know what I was doing because I still didn't know what a pastor of mercy was. But like King Jehoshaphat, I said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that's why. Because remember, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So let's look at the third story. And the third story is the story that's our story. What have we done these past seven years? Well, I still didn't know, like I say, I still didn't know what, what uh, a mercy ministry was, but I figured that it looked somewhat or pretty much like people willing to serve others sacrificially, such as taking a Saturday morning in the late summer and joining other Christians and maybe Christians from other churches and beautifying a local school for the new school year. And we called that City Serve, and my first day on the job was August 1st, 2015, the first time we did City Serve. And City Serve went on for multiple years with multiple churches involved being connected with local church with local schools. Ours happened to be Sanislo, and what we wanted and, and what the pastors wanted was for the church to get out into the community and serve the community and get the congregations, if all possible, mingling. That's a picture of one of our first uh, meetings before the 
the start of the day, and here are just some, some folks. Go, go ahead, Kat, and, and run through them. These are just pictures. You'll, maybe you'll see yourself in some of them. But these are the types of projects that we were involved in in doing CityServe, and it was a great experience, and, uh, and it was great because it was a day that was a, a super blessing. Out of this experience, this picture here, just for a minute, like I said, I didn't know what I was doing, and, and quite frankly, that first CityServe we did virtually everything wrong. We violated, I think, all of the health and safety protocols that the school district had in place. They say, nobody on ladders, and we painted the, the, um, the gymnasium. No power tools, and we're out trimming down tr trees and, and whatnot. But it needed because the, the place was really overgrown. Well, this picture is on, on my left there, gentleman with a beard is Chris Goth. He was with Union Gospel Mission. They helped orchestrate a lot of the things in terms of city serve and orchestrating other uh, communities of churches serving their schools. On, on my immediate uh, right uh, was um, Gretchen, and Gretchen was the head of all the volunteers for the school district. Uh, she had some serious words for me that first, <laughs> after that first Saturday, but we became very good friends and we worked together for multiple years. And the gentleman uh, on, on the far, uh, as you're looking at it, the far left, uh, was Superintendent Dr. Nyholm. That first city serve, right following it, Chris there in the picture said, hey, Buzz, we want to we see if we can't get some cooperation going between the churches and the community and, and the school district and see if we can't coordinate this a little better. And he said, we're going to have a meeting in a couple of weeks and, you know, you can come to it. And I said, well, can I, can I invite people to it? And he said, sure, sure, invite it. So I invited Gretchen. I had just met her and I said, hey, here's, here's what's going on. And she sent me an email back and she said, you know, uh, I passed that along. I, I might be able to attend that meeting, but I passed that along to the superintendent's office. I went, ooh. Okay, and several days later, I received an email from Carrie Campbell, and she says, hi, Buzz, uh, I'm Carrie Campbell, and I'm uh, um, the assistant to the superintendent, and this, your email is fascinating because I just got out of a meeting with the superintendent where we've been trying to figure out how we can connect faith communities to local schools. Dr. Nyholm is an incredible believer. And he's, he sat in that superintendent's role and was really a part of our city serves for, for multiple years. That's my first week on the job, and I'm going, Lord, what, what are you doing? What, what's, what's going on here? I can't believe it. But out of, um, out of that city serve experience, Multiple things occurred. Some of you participate in the giving tree that we do every year where we're buying gifts for, for students that um, the school, uh, Sanislow and Roxhill, identify as children in need and their siblings. You guys have been incredible buying gifts uh, and uh, things for them. There's, there's, uh, that was a couple of years ago. And, uh, and out of, also out of that became... Uh, what we uh, started doing, which was uh, the weekend backpack meal program. And that was done in cooperation with the West Seattle Food Bank. 
and we would pack meals every week for kids that the social workers identified as those that were in danger of not having food over the weekend. And so you guys participated in that. At the height of COVID, we were packing 500 meals a week. Thank you so much for that. There was over, I calculated, probably close to 20,000 meals had been packed over the years thanks to you guys and thanks to West Seattle Food Bank. So what does mercy look like? Looks like pulling weeds. It looks like cleaning desks and tables. Or maybe mercy looks like buying a warm winter jacket and a toy for a needy student. It even can look like packing meals for kids that may not have a meal for the weekend. So what is mercy? Jesus calls it giving people cold cups of water in my name. Mercy ministry looks a lot like CityServe, and mercy ministry also looks a lot like Renovo. And that's where I want to go here just briefly. I've, I've already mentioned how I got connected with Renovo in terms of the oversight of it. But Renovo would have never gotten off the ground. Again, it's, it's transition housing for women that are coming out of the Union Gospel Mission Women's uh, Recovery Program. And these are incredible ladies that have been through horrible situations and circumstances uh, and, and they've, put the, they've taken the courageous step to say, I want help. They've gone to Union Gospel Mission. They've received the training and skills, and now they've graduated, and, and Renova provides that opportunity for them to then transition back into the community, hopefully connecting with us as a local church. But there's a problem when Renova was about to open and that problem was me. I'm a guy. And for Renovo to be successful, I could not take a day-to-day -day personal interest in the ladies that are there. It just, it just would not work. And so here I was, it's about to open. I'm saying, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this building and this relationship with the UGM and all of these ladies that are going to start coming. But How's it going to work? It can't work. I felt like Moses sort of being driven to the edge of the Red Sea and going, uh, what now, Lord? We can't go back, and I can't go forward. Then one Sunday, praying like crazy and wondering what the Lord would do, the solution came with a tap on my shoulder. And this greeting, hi, my name is Bonnie Major. I hear there's a need at Renovo. Bonnie was an absolute godsend. She spent hours and hours at Renovo getting to know the, the women there, uh, getting, hearing their stories, making sure that the rooms were made ready for new arrivals. She really set the pattern for what care for these ladies looks like and how it needs to happen.
And so it was, it was a fantastic provision that the Lord had given us as a church and, and me personally, uh, and I love her dearly. And, and what's great is I had the same fear several months ago, Lord, I'm stepping down and away. What about Renovo? Who's going to take care of Renovo? I'm, I'm taking it on like, you know, I, I'm, I'm the one responsible for making this thing go. But I, but I didn't know, and I felt, again, I was coming up to the, to, the, to the edge of the Red Sea. And just recently, there's a new set of there's ladies here at, at Trinity that have stepped up to say, we want to step into that leadership role. They've already done it. They've already made the, the, the contact with uh, the case manager at Renovo, and they're, they're setting it up and moving forward, and I know that it's in great, great hands. And I want to thank those ladies for stepping up and doing that. And they're going to call on you, and it'll be your opportunity to figure out where it is that you can help serve the ladies at Renovo. So part of leaving a legacy is, is providing, like I say, this, this safe place for these ladies and a welcoming church for them to come and worship in and to grow in friendships. Again, remember, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus is always calling us to follow him. Right now... He is calling you to follow him. I have no idea where, and I have no idea in doing what, but I do know that what he calls us to do is to trust him and obey him. For there's no other way, right? Sometimes he calls us uh, to follow him into challenging places. That may be something that you're facing. Many times he calls us into difficult places, but then there are times when he calls us to follow him into very dark places, places we can never prepare for. On Saturday, January 11th, 2020, I received at home a phone call from Helen Louie asking if I could come to the hospital because Jana Lehman was in the hospital and she'd been injured. When I got there, it was obvious that her condition was very, very serious. It was at this time that I first met Jana's mom, Linda, and Jana and Linda was there and her brother Adam and Serena and Josh, her two children. They asked, the family asked if I would come back, this was Saturday, if I'd come back on Monday because they had, they had put her in a medical coma and they were going to bring her out and she would be brought out of that on Monday. And it would be on Monday that we would know the outcome. On Monday, it was clear that she would not recover and the decision had to be made regarding moving life support. Linda asked if I would pray with them 
with the kids over Jana a final prayer and for them to be able to say goodbye. We, at that time, uh, had called for a, a community gathering here on the following Friday, the 17th, and many of you came to that. Um, one of the things that was apparent was that it did not look like it had been an accident. So the Sunday following that Friday gathering, a young man was arrested for Jana's murder. We called for a second gathering, many of you came, the following Friday in order to deal with grief and lament and try and piece together, Lord, what, what is this? How could this be? really appreciate the fact that Chris and Lisa from Paulus Counseling came and, and shepherded us through that, that, that process. The family then asked me if I would conduct a memorial service. And I, of course, said yes. Um, so on Saturday, February 1st, two, two weeks later, over 1,000 people, more than 1,000 people, gathered in this auditorium. It was standing room only. And it was a, a time full of grief and comfort. It honored her life and allowed the community, and she was known throughout West Seattle, allowed the community to say goodbye. And I then had the, the pain and privilege of walking with the family through both the court uh, hearings of the legal arraignment of the accused, and then a little over a year later, the sentencing of that same individual for her murder. And the family was at both of those. And finally, I, I had the honor to preside over the internment of Jana's ashes at Forest Lawn. So I ask you, who is prepared for these things? What words are adequate? What comfort is enough comfort? in that hospital room, in that courtroom, at that memorial service, at that graveside. I wasn't prepared. Except my one preparation was that I followed Jesus there. Amen. And he had been there before. And many times during this, this whole time, as I went, again, the hospital, the courtroom, the memorial service, the graveside, I heard Jesus say, I've come here before you, and I heard him whisper, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect 
in your weakness. So, dear brothers and sisters, right now you may be facing some challenging or something difficult. And I want you to remember that you have received the inheritance as sons and daughters of the king. And part of your legacy is what you're facing right now. To face that challenge or that difficult thing and deny yourself and pick up your cross and remember Jesus has gone before you in that situation that you're facing. He's at your right hand and he's been in that situation before. How can you prepare for, the, for any of these dark days or difficult situations? You can't. But you can stay close to Jesus and weep with those who weep. That is also, that's also what mercy looks like. And I want to remind our folks here, our Trinity folks, that the, we still have a support fund for Jana's kids. We're still receiving funds. Matter of fact, I just, I just had a, an email from Linda uh, because their tuition is coming up for next school year. They're at Hope uh, Church here in West Seattle. Uh, and I can tell you the family is incredibly grateful for the gift that that fund has provided in terms of education, a stable situation. Remember, Jana died, and two months later, COVID hit. So an incredibly difficult time for the, for the kids, but they are doing very, very well. So. Well, I know I mentioned that I was called to the role of a pastor of mercy and a mission, and did I happen to mention that I'd never been on a mission trip? Well, you might see a pattern here. God seems to want to take me right to the edge and say, okay, now you're going to discover. So what is mission? I, it was so great to have this video this morning. Um, that's, that is a slice of what mission is, is like. But mission is entering into someone else's world with self-giving compassion and love, the love that Jesus has. And just like Jesus, it always involves some form of the cross. Following Jesus always involves some form of the cross. Self-giving, self-sacrificing love for someone else. Mission can be as big as what we saw earlier, church planting. It can be as small as sharing with a friend or a co-worker the hope you have in Christ. It can be as close as hand as praying for our city or, our, or your neighbor, and it can be as far-reaching as partnering with a church in Riga, Latvia. Well, that's what missions is 
Missions also can mean actually going on a mission trip. And I did, finally. In, in uh, May of 2016, uh, I took my first of, of three trips to Riga. And I'll tell you about those in a minute. But I first want to tell you about my second mission trip that was not to Lafia. It was to Haiti. Myself and Maurice Brock uh, were asked, were invited to join a, a mission team from Belmont Cabinets. And we went on it hoping that, uh, I, I went hoping to begin to develop a relationship with a local church there in Haiti and the community around it and, and praying that it would blossom into something similar to, to what was growing and developing in Riga with Maviata Church. And Maurice went because that is her homeland, and she went back to greet some of her family there. It was a, it was a tremendous time, uh, just life-changing in so many ways. Um, the, the, the people were fantastic. This, this picture right here, so we're about ready to leave. We'd been there all week. We're about ready to leave, and you, you know how it is. You've, you've, you've met people. You've spent time with them. You've developed this relationship, and then you realize we might not see each other again in heaven, but, 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 but maybe not again. And so it's just kind of that uncomfortable, oh, and somebody, don't know who it was, started just kind of doing a little drumbeat, and I don't even know what it was on. It wasn't bongos or something. And it, people started picking it up, and in minutes a conga line formed, and we dan danced around and around and around. Anyway, that's, that's Haiti. Beautiful people, beautiful situation. Um, but unfortunately, um, within, let me catch up to myself here. Uh, I'm going to go back one. Got ahead of myself. But unfortunately, um, we... Within, uh, within a year, the relationships on the ground in Haiti began to come apart. And our hopes of um, seeing that relationship with that community and that church never materialized. And I mention this because Maurice and her family, still attend here, are deeply involved with a local Haitian Church, the Haitian Christian Church. It's located down in Des Moines. And it is my hope that we as Trinity can find ways to engage with our brothers and sisters there at the Haitian Christian Church. Matter of fact, you guys did last year following the terrible earthquake that was in Haiti. And the, and the call went out and you guys donated money, which we were able to give to the Haitian Church and because of all the complications and the anarchy that's, that is in Haiti now, they were able to take those funds, buy supplies, things that they knew that, was, that were needed, and actually uh, shepherd those things to Haiti so that they could get to the people that needed them. So thank you very much for your support, and may that, may that grow in the future. Well, as I mentioned, I took my first trip uh, and then I, in 2006, and uh, you can go ahead and, and switch. So we, the, there, is, there is Latvia, 
And you can see Riga's right in the middle. It's a kind of a catcher's mitt. And then Ganibas, it's hard to, hard to read there, but that's out on the Baltic coast. And every time we took a team, we took two teams. We took one team to serve at the local church in Riga and a second team uh, that did construction work out on a family camp in, in Ganibas. So I just wanted you to sort of see that. And that went, uh, we did that, like I say, for multiple years. There's Carlos on the left, Thomas on the right, dear, dear, good brothers. Go ahead and kind of whip through those. Yeah, there were, this is just some of the work that we were doing there, just so you know that we really did do some things there while we were there. So we did, that, that was some of the work uh, there. And we actually, one year, had a conference that uh, we helped host with them. And then um, in 2018, because we wanted this just not simply be a, a, something that we went there, we invited uh, Thomas and Carlos to bring their church team here to Seattle. And let's see if you got that. There they are. Yep, so that's, that's the team that came from Mavietta. And they spent a week here. Some of you hosted them in your homes, and, and a lot of you got to know that crew. There we are doing some of the, the work while they were here in Seattle. And it was a great, great time, and uh, both uh, fellowship and, and some teachings and some learning about different things that we're involved with uh, here in Seattle. Then a year later, 2019, one of the things that I wanted... I did. Well, one of the things I, I recognize and I, and I realize this has become the pattern is we're the Americans, we have money, uh, we've done church better than they have. You know, all of these things where it's this, it's this discipleship that's just always we're giving and they're receiving. And, and although the, the 2008, the trip when, they, when the leaders came here, we, we begin to kind of equalize in terms of friendships. We, we broaden those friendships. I wanted to do something where we weren't going to serve them. We were going to go and do something together. And so 2019, we decided we're going to go to, to the camp in Ghanibas and go to a, a co-family camp. We were going to bring folks from here, and they would bring their folks, and we would have a family retreat there. I was so excited. Again, I don't know if you can see all those, but the cross-section of people, the most people we've ever taken, excited that there were kids that were coming. I was doubly excited that the Magsics said, we're going to bring our three-and-a-half kids, right? Three-and-a-half? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and so anyway, so it, it, was, it was fulfilling what I wanted because, because I wanted us to see congregation to congregation, eye-to-eye, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And there's a picture of the whole group, that, that little, little river there. The other thing that, uh, that, that grew out of that is a relationship that developed with Greg and his, his love be, beginning to grow for Latvia and Melissa's and wanting to serve them. And so... Following that, uh, Greg and I, uh, Greg joined into my monthly video calls with Thomas and Carlos, and so he's been a part of that for years now, and he is stepping into that role, taking that leadership role um, of uh, overseeing missions here and that relationship, and 
it's just, it's just been fa fantastic to see that. The other thing that has happened, and it's, again, it, how does God do this? Because of the war in Ukraine, and, and as everybody said, what can we do? How, how can we help? And, and, we, you know, and, and all of us felt that same way. Immediately, the church, Mavieta, got connected with a church in Poland, and with, within two weeks, they were serving refugees coming out of the Ukraine, and actually many of them coming in and through uh, Riga, and suddenly that relationship of us always being the, the, the givers and us leading the way this past month, two months, we have looked to them to lead us, to guide us, to, to, to show us what we need to do. And I just, I just, I certainly don't thank God for the war, but I thank God for taking something terrible and providing an opportunity for us to be discipled by our brothers and sisters in, in uh, Latvia. And finally, just so that you know, um, Carlos and Ruta, you can go ahead and show that picture there. You'll get to it. Um, Carlos has taken a sabbatical, first one he's had. Uh, he's, and it's well-deserved. It's going to be uh, for a couple of months, and he's actually, they're actually coming here, and they're going to spend it, they're going to live with the Mad Six. So, woohoo! It's a sleepover. So they'll be sharing opportunities to, to meet uh, with them, uh, and so I want you to look for that. Uh, finally, as I conclude now, uh, if my sharing these different events has stimulated in you some memories, some thoughts, some, some desires to, uh, or, or, or ways in which, oh, there they are, <laughs> Carlos and Ruta. Um, I'd like you, we're having a, a, is it a shindig or a soiree? I can't remember, after the service. Uh, but it's an opportunity to share. So if there's some memories that have been triggered here, that I'd love to have you share those things. So let me conclude. Remember, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And as we move forward, we're, we're, we always are facing ever-changing circumstances, but we're always certain that Christ is leading and equipping us in a never-changing way. He is always consistent, and he's always there. So remember, because you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, serve him by following him. And in conclusion, man, I'm very appreciative of working with tremendous people that I was able to work with on staff. Angela Hyde, Marie Santo, Michelle Reed, Nate Garvey, Jordan Atwell, Matt Beckler, and most currently, Bill Clem. It's been a great two weeks, Bill, serving with you. <laughs> Erica Santana, Nick Veldagan, and Brandon Lee. Brandon had said it, we came in together, and we're more or less going out together. So 
it's just tremendous folks to work with and truly blessed. And for serving and working with you, the members of Trinity, that I, I had the privilege to work with you. I want to start naming you, but I am going to leave many of you out, so I'm not going to do that. But I want you to know you are not nameless with me. I treasure those. Oh, and finally, to our pastors. I've, as I had mentioned, I've served on multiple elder boards and served with many fine and good men. But it's been here at Trinity that I experienced a leadership team that could lead and lovingly lead and could have strong and individual opinions and could challenge one another with deep and differing convictions and could confront courageously and confess respectfully and submit humbly to one another so that at the end of the day we could move forward as co-laborers and fellow shepherds of yours here at Trinity always with the mind of preserving the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace respect and love. So to David Fairchild, Cliff Ellis, Bill Simmons, Steve Bell, Dale Ingle, Greg Matzik, Joel Brown, and Shan Applin and David Lee, we were there at the beginning. Gentlemen, thank you. Almost made it. And a privilege and a pleasure to all of you. It's been an honor. It's been an honor to serve you. Lord Jesus. Thank you for this building, your church, and call that calls us and our part in it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the inheritance we've received in this building and through past members. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the legacy you're calling us to leave for those who will follow. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.